Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, it's time to ask the question, who's the bosk? This is the podcast you're looking for. Who is this bosk character? I fear him. Who is the bosk? Hello and welcome to Who's the Bosk? It's a Star Wars podcast from LaughingPlace.com. My name is Mike Celestino. I am your host. I am the lead Southern California reporter and editorial director for Star Wars content at Laughing Place. This is episode 70 of 70, Who's the Bosk? 70, 70. And we are continuing our Lucasfilm 50th anniversary retrospective with a discussion of Francis Ford Coppola's 1988 film, Tucker, the man and his dream. And for that conversation, I have invited back on the show, as we do every 10 episodes, my friend and frequent guest, David Murto. David, thank you for joining me here again in Echo Base. Thank you so much, Mike. I'm always pleased to be back in Echo Base. It is a little chilly, but I just bundle up. <laughs> it is um, the opposite of chilly. Yeah, it's a hot Echo day here Base in Burbank, today. California. We've closed all the windows. We've turned off the air conditioning. We've turned off the fans to uh, to bring you the highest quality. Because because if who's the Bosque is known for anything, it's it's sound, high fidelity quality sound. If you go back right. and listen to all. 70 episodes, you're going to hear nothing but crisp, clear audio, uh, no exceptions to that whatsoever. That's true. I recorded most of my episodes with the <laughs> Apple AirPods, so you know that's the highest quality sound. Uh, how, how, what's going on with you, David? Uh, any major events going on in your life in the next week or so that you want to talk about? <laughs> right. Like You don't know this, but I'm getting married this Saturday. Can you believe it? Uh, my fiance Bethany and I were finally going to do it after a very long engagement, much like Jean-Pierre Jeunet taught us about. <laughs> we're finally getting married on Saturday. And for our officiant, we've booked a special guest, none other than the lead Southern California <laughs> correspondent and Star Wars. Come, come on, you haven't heard this <laughs> enough to... So, yeah, I, I did not know that. Congratulations uh, oh, on your marriage. And, and uh, I guess I got to prepare. Yeah, just something. Yeah, write something up. Okay. Like, uh, just make something as iconic as, <laughs> um, you know, you may now kiss the bride. Like, just come up with right. something on that So level. we want to start, much like the subject of the movie we watched today, we want to be a pioneer in the wedding right, uh, yeah. industry. Right. Start I want to turn new. weddings kind of on their ear with this. Okay. Something um, people have never seen before. So I'm going to plan. Yes, I'm going to be the uh, efficient in David's wedding to uh, my friend, Bethany. Uh, my Two of my friends are getting married. So uh, very excited um, mm. to perform. Is it called perform? Yeah, no. I think perform. Perform yeah. the ceremony, I guess. And and uh, that's coming up. But you, you guys out there in Star Wars land won't know anything about that so i don't even know why we're talking about it but i just thought it would be a good way to eat up five minutes here at the beginning yeah. of the show mm-hmm. um okay so anything else going on with you that you want to mention i mean your, that really life? is monopolizing yeah. my time so nothing that, else. that yeah. tends to be the case gosh what's going on with me been back to the parks a bunch mm-hmm. since they opened up we're trying to keep busy been out in the world a lot more seeing movies in the theater and and just being out and about and, and trying to interact with as many people as possible right now make up for lost time i've yeah. i've even 
done one better and like reached out and started hanging out with people i hadn't seen in years oh yeah like so not just pandemic haven't seen them but like haven't seen them in a long time and and i'm i i might run out of steam eventually but i've been good at it so far but yeah going back to the movies has been huge i've been back to the lemley in north hollywood a few times and just love it there well you were there once we went and saw in the heights together that's right. We saw it in the Heights a couple of weeks ago. I talked about it uh, on the show. Enjoyed mm-hmm. that film. But yeah. Um, okay. Let's uh, let's move on to some Star Wars headlines for this week. There was a new episode of Star Wars: The Bad Batch. Now you were on the show May the fourth, which I think I, I don't remember if we recorded that after the Bad Batch had started. No. Uh, so the Bad Batch would have started on May the fourth. Did, have you seen any episodes no. of the Bad Batch? You haven't no, watched it at all. Or um, the Clone Wars. You haven't seen the Clone Wars either. Okay, no. so you're more more of a Star Wars movie guy. We knew mm-hmm. that already. But the the Bad Batch takes place after the Clone Wars. It's after Order sixty six, and there's this group of clones that have what they call advantageous mutations, like the X Men. Kind of, yeah. I guess so, yeah. But they're not like really superpowers. They're just like really good at certain things. Like okay. there's a guy who's a good sniper, and a guy who's a who's like a big beefy guy who can throw things really far and mm-hmm. and you know fight people. And then there's a guy who's like Rambo, they call Hunter, and he's just a good like tracker, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then this most recent episode was kind of actually like a crossover with Star Wars Rebels, which is another animated series. That's actually probably my favorite of. I guess the four canon Star Wars series that have been made so far, the Star Wars Rebels. Um, and there's a character in that called Hera Syndulla, who uh, we've seen her later on in the timeline, but now we've seen her kind of as a, an adolescent in the Bad Batch, because this one takes place like roughly 20 years earlier, I guess like 15 years earlier than Rebels. Uh, so this episode dealt with Hera and her family on the planet Ryloth, because they're Twi'leks, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the species with the, um, I think they're called leku, those weird uh, Ear, or like the head, tentacles. head extension. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, Bib Fortuna is a Twi'lek from Jabba's mm-hmm. Palace. Uh, it's, a, it's a good episode. It doesn't have a lot of the Bad Batch in it, which I thought was odd. Like the title characters kind of take a back seat in this one, which is really the first time that they've done that. Uh, it's more about Hera and her family. Uh, but it, it was interesting. I think people who are fans of Rebels are really going to appreciate that episode a lot and it's all part of this like dave filoni star wars animated series uh universe that right he's, he's tying them all together that's exactly great. so exactly. i know this show's been hit or miss for you but this was one of the hits i thought it was good yeah i liked it it was probably in the top 50 percent of the episodes that okay. have aired so far for me so uh that's the bad batch uh five more episodes to go in season one for that show. And then I also uh, reviewed a comic book called Star Wars Bounty Hunters number 14. And in this comic, uh, there was a, a bounty hunter called Valence the Hunter, who's kind of the protagonist of the Bounty Hunters comic. And he's teamed up with Dengar. You know Dengar from The Empire Strikes Back. He's one of the famous six bounty hunters that appear on the Star Destroyer Executor. I always say executor, but then I've heard it was executor. So I was never sure which one. Executor is scarier. Yeah, executor. Uh, And then uh, Valence and Dengar had to fight this assassin called Deathstick, which I find (laughs) to be a very funny name. Right. That's what the guy from The Matrix was selling in episode two. Yeah. It was Deathsticks. And so you 
think of that immediately when you hear that name as well, which is the first thing I thought of when I heard this name. Apparently, this is a character that got introduced in a, a Star Wars mobile game like five or six years ago hmm. uh, called Star Wars Uprising, which I've never played. But this character was just kind of like a, a supporting character in that game. And they've decided to give her like a larger role in this canon. So she's been hired by Crimson Dawn, the crime syndicate, to not quite kill, but like follow and I guess steer Valence and Dengar in the right direction. Because this is all part of this big War of the Bounty Hunters crossover event that's happening throughout the summer. It's just like one chapter in this like 30 plus issue uh event that's happening so uh, i'm i'm enjoying war of the bounty hunters i really like what they've been doing so far i recommend checking that out if you have any interest in it at all there were some new action figures announced from hasbro uh, i collect the star wars black series we are sitting in my living room that we call echo base we're surrounded by star wars black series right now i've got them up on a bunch of shelves around us but they've announced some new ones that i have to pick up uh namely the big one is uh, trapper wolf that everybody's excited for this is the character played by dave filoni himself in mm. the mandalorian do you remember the x-wing pilot yeah mm-hmm. that dave filoni plays he's in a couple episodes yeah and he hangs out with the guy from kim's convenience yes absolutely that's right i don't remember that actor's name but i know who you're talking you're talking about he was in a couple episodes as well and um he's getting his own so trapper wolf is getting his own kind of like deluxe edition black series action figure it's going to be available as part of this hascon event which is going to be in the fall along with a box set called the cantina showdown which i'm really excited for as well it's got part of the cantina bar itself, uh, and it comes with Obi-Wan Kenobi, who I already have, but you got Ponda Baba and Dr. Evazan in the six-inch black series. They have not appeared in that before. Of course, I've got them in the smaller scale. Mm-hmm. Um, but the six-inch is the real. Those are the, yeah. the primo Yeah, I'm items. super excited for that. I, I've wanted them to make those guys for a while, and they're finally getting around to some of those more like ancillary yeah, yeah, characters. characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've also announced a vintage collection, Emperor's Throne Room in the smaller scale, uh, three and three quarter inch scale. And that's pretty cool looking too. It's Emperor Palpatine sitting in that famous black mm-hmm. throne from Return of the Jedi. And that's all part of Hascon coming this fall. I'm not sure what month that takes place in, but I'm sure I'll be covering it on laughingplace.com. And then we got... A reveal of the cover for the new novel, Star Wars Ronin, a Visions novel. This is a tie-in to the Star Wars Visions animated series that's coming to Disney+. Plus. Have you watched that trailer, David? Is that the like anime-inspired one? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So they have um, nine anime studios making seven different shorts. So a couple of the studios are making two each. Um, and that comes out in September. But there's also a tie-in novel called Ronin that's written by Emma Miko Kandon. I'm not really familiar with that author. And that book comes out October 12th. So I'll be interested to read that. I will definitely be reading that and reviewing it on LaughingPlace.com, probably in the fall. Lastly, in Star Wars headlines this week, there's a company called Dr. Squatch. Have you heard of this company? Never in my life. <laughs> okay. Apparently, they're making limited edition 
Star Wars soaps. And the characters included are Yoda, and his is called Wisdom Wash. There's also Obi-Wan Kenobi. His soap is called Only Hope Soap, which makes sense. Darth Vader has the Dark Side Scrub, and then Darth Maul has Ruthless Rinse. So it's all characters from the original trilogy except Darth Maul. I don't, I don't think of any of those characters as smelling good, though. <laughs> I don't want to smell like Yoda, definitely. He lives in a swamp. Right. right. Obi-Wan Kenobi is an old man in the, in desert. the desert. No. Darth Vader? No, he no, doesn't smell good. No, definitely not. I mean, he takes that weird bath in, oh, in yeah. Rogue One. He's but like you don't see him sudsing up. Right. But this is what he would be using. Well, of all of these, who do you think smells the best? Probably Vader, now that you mention he does take right. a bath. We've seen him take a bath. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So, uh, all the, could, yeah, Dark Side Scrub is the one I'm going to go for. Right. Probably. Okay. Is this something that you would think about picking up? No, but no. I wouldn't be upset if someone like got it for me as like okay. a present or something. Uh, great. A wedding, wedding present. Wedding gift for <laughs> David and Bethany. Limited edition Star Wars soaps from Dr. Squatch. You can read more about that on laughingplace.com. Okay. That brings us to our main topic for this week. It's a movie called Tucker. The Man in His Dream, and I'm going to read an excerpt from a book called George Lucas, The Creative Impulse, if you'll just bear with me for one moment. Let's hear it. Preston Tucker was a figure in American history who had a double appeal for both Lucas and Francis Coppola. Like both of them, Tucker was a maverick. At the end of World War II, he undertook a daring gamble to defy the big three American automakers, Ford, Chrysler, and General Motors and design and manufacture a car of his own. He may even have thought of it not, not as an act of defiance, but only as a dream of making a better car than the big three were turning out. To a pair of mavericks who had elected to try making films outside Hollywood, Tucker was a kinsman. To Coppola, with his fascination with new technology, and to Lucas, with his lifelong love of cars, Tucker, with his Tucker automobile, was a hugely attractive figure. Tucker's bold try was in the end unsuccessful, largely because of the political harassment instigated on behalf of the big three, but he had introduced several innovators, among them, sorry, several innovations, among them seatbelts and independent four-wheel su suspension that would influence car, de car design and construction long after the last of the 50 Tucker automobiles had rolled off the hand-tooled assembly line. Lucas personally put up the money, so Coppola could begin pre-production work on Tucker, then Paramount agreed to become the principal backer and the distributor of the film. Tucker became a Lucasfilm Limited Zoetrope Studios production with Lucas as ex executive producer, Fred Roos and Fred Fuchs as producers, and with Coppola directing a script by David Seidler and Arnold Schulman. Willow was already in production in England, and Lucas commuted between the UK and Marin County to work on the development of Tucker. Uh, Willow, obviously, we talked about last week. And then some facts about Tucker. It was released on August 12th, 1988, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, obviously. What are, what are some of your favorite Coppola films outside of this one? I mean, just the obvious ones, The Godfather, The Godfather Part Two, Apocalypse yeah. Now, The Conversation, you know, all the good ones. Yeah, so very famous filmmaker, obviously very talented uh, for a while, uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> kind of went off the rails. Yeah. Now he's more famed as a winemaker. Right. Get some Coppola wine. 
the movie was written by, like we mentioned, written by Arnold Schulman, who did And the Band Played On, which I think is a movie about the AIDS epidemic. I think that might have been an HBO original movie. I haven't seen it. In the 90s. Uh, and David Seidler, who did The King's Speech, uh, mm-hmm. Oscar winner yep. film. Produced by Fred Fuchs, who did Dracula for Francis Ford Coppola, and Fred Roos, who did Godfather Two for Coppola. The cinematographer was Vittorio Storaro, who worked with Coppola on Apocalypse Now, and I think probably some other stuff too, right? Yeah, that was one part I was a little disappointed, because I knew he shot Apocalypse Now, and so I was kind of expecting a little more creativity, but the movie itself was kind of not... It was competent, but not inspired in the way it looked. In my interesting, opinion. interesting. Uh, the editor was Priscilla Ned Friendly, who did Pretty Woman. The music was by Joe Jackson, though not that Joe Jackson. Not, right. <laughs> not Michael Jackson's father. Uh, mm. A different Joe Jackson. The production companies, of course, were Lucasfilm and Zoetrope, like we mentioned, distributed by Paramount. The running time was 110 minutes, so 10 minutes under two hours. Budget was $24 million and it only made $20 million at the box office. So not not a big hit. Kind of flew under the radar, I think, because mm-hmm. I don't remember. I was eight years old when this came out. I don't remember it coming out. I, I didn't remember seeing it, actually. But I now that we watched it just now, we watched it just before the recording here, and I think I have seen it before. I think I actually watched it in the George Lucas class that I took. Okay. In college, they showed it to us on the big screen, which was nice. Um, what, what was your personal history with this film? I think I had heard of it. I didn't realize that it was uh, George Lucas uh, was involved at all um, until he started doing this show. Um, and that was it. I had never seen it before today. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I have almost no personal history with it. Okay. Um, and then let's talk about the real world story. Were you aware of this this actual like historical figure preston tucker no i knew nothing about it okay i knew nothing about it but um i was happy to learn <laughs> do you have any interest in, in cars or like the you know i industry? i don't know much about my dad grew up outside of detroit and so he might like this movie he might get more out of it than i did but yeah. um yeah and we had uh where i grew up it was studebaker was like the um failed independent car company that everyone knew about because their plant was in South Bend, Indiana, near where I grew up. So yeah. I, I, I've i seen like cars from that era, but I, I didn't know anything about Tucker or yeah. the Tucker cars. I didn't know a lot about him either. Although, like I said, I think I've seen it before. So I, think I had like these vague recollections of this story. Um, but I don't know. Besides what I read there in that book, how would you describe this, like the synopsis of this movie to somebody who wasn't familiar with it? So Jeff Bridges plays a terrifically cheerful, optimistic engineer who um, actually let's back up the kind of the 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 thing that gets the the almost frame story of the movie is it begins with a, a uh, what seems to be like a promotional video produced and it even says like produced by the press department for Tucker right. Corporation and so. And then it kind of dips back into that a few times throughout the movie with some narration or some fun visuals that like seem like it's from a promotional video. And so the whole movie kind of has this idea that it's selling you on Tucker was a great guy and his dream was great and he got screwed over, which may or may, may not be the case. Right. But um, so, yeah, Jeff Bridges plays 
Tucker, he's very, very charming in the role. And he has these great ideas for uh, for making a new kind of safe automo- family, futuristic automobile. But he doesn't really have the business or political sense to make it work in the real world. Um, and so he runs into trouble with right. some politicians and with the big three automakers, like you mentioned. Yeah, I'd be interested in reading more about the real life story to see because obviously the movie is on his side right very like, very much so yeah like he's the protagonist he's portrayed in a very positive life light he's a a family man he's very friendly with like his employees mm-hmm. who all seem to love him and like are willing to work for him occasionally for free mm-hmm. so he just like the movie kind of coasts by on the charm of jeff bridges would you say that yeah i mean you do get a few character flaws uh, yeah he being, has anger issues right he has anger issues he he uh is naive about the way that the business world works and he's in yeah. over his head so forth but yeah the it really sets the tone with the the promotional video um or promotional film beginning of the movie is that it, the whole thing is going to feel kind of like that Right. For a company that no longer exists. <laughs> yeah, so he he's kind of an idealist who's not a realist. And I mm-hmm. think, like, we're, we're kind of meant to think, like, okay, he's a, a dreamer, but his dreams aren't always realistic or executable, mm-hmm. to go back to the uh, Star Destroyer name. Um, so what do you think of the movie? What, what, what was your response? We haven't really talked about the quality other than your you thought the cinematography wasn't as flashy as you were expecting this wasn't or... that creative okay. I thought, but um but overall i i really enjoyed the movie um i think like my fantasy for coppola as a winemaker would be if he like named all of his wines after his movies yeah and so like the his finest wines like the godfather wine the godfather part two wine would be like 60 dollars. you know it's yeah. apocalypse now um and then like he'd have like a $3.50 wine that's called Jack and the, <laughs> and like he'd like maybe a $4 wine that's the Godfather part 3 and then this movie and like Dracula would be like 18 to $20 okay, okay. gosh I saw I saw Jack in the theater I did too well, how, what year did that come out M- mid 90s yeah. so I would have been like maybe 10 years old right. and i'm like this is too stupid for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i would have been in my mid-teens mm-hmm. and i saw it with my mom and i remember thinking this is not great even though you know i was a movie fan by that point already mm-hmm. had seen a few of his better stuff and was a fan of robin williams of as course. well. so yeah. like that movie was a disappointment but he has made some good ones and i i do agree that this is one of them i i really I think the movie has like a great energy to it. Yeah, I had a smile on my face for much of yeah, the movie. Like it, it kind of flies by, and we mm-hmm. we watched it much like uh, Pawakatsi a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I watched it with with the ads on Amazon Prime because earlier in the year I was like, okay, Tucker the Man in His Dream is on HBO, and I have an HBO Max subscription, so it's like, oh, great, this is going to be great when it comes up in the. Mm-hmm. retrospective and then of course it's disappeared from hbo right so we had to watch it with the ads wasn't that bad it was, was funny because there are so many car ads yeah. during the movie and yeah. i don't know if that's just there usually are or if they right. t- were tailored to this movie but uh, we saw a lot of car ads and none of the cars looked as good as the tucker <laughs> right um but yeah i was gonna say like 
the the flow of the movie kind of got interrupted by the ad breaks but that's true i do feel like if we had watched it without the ads it really it really would have a nice flow to it Mm -hmm. and it would zip by this like hour and 50 minutes would really would really go by like nothing um and then i just really loved the cast i just thought it was so well cast obviously jeff bridges everybody loves jeff bridges. incredibly charming who doesn't like jeff bridges yeah. he is so so charming uh joan I'm... allen as his wife yeah. like this is she was looking very beautiful kind of a thankless role she's just like the supportive right. wife yeah. no conflict in that relationship well they did give her the one scene where she like barges into the um, right to be the voice piece office. of her husband right yeah but she wasn't really a character in her own right but, that's true yeah but yeah. The, the the standout was martin landau Right, he was Martin Landau. So good. And this would have been, this would have been like right before Ed Wood, right? Six a couple years. Year. Oh, six years. Yeah. Is it ninety four? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So was he was nominated for the Oscar for Tucker. He lost to Kevin Klein for oh. um, uh, Fish Called Wanda, but then he would win six years That's later. Great. For yeah, Ed Martin Wood. Martin Landau's wonderful. Joan Allen, you mentioned, uh, she was most famously in Nixon as mm. Pat Nixon and the Bourne like... movies <laughs> and Pleasantville, yeah. which I love. That's right. That's right. Um, Frederick Forrest uh, from Apocalypse Now is Eddie. I think that's his like right hand man guy, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's he's, like the chief, like the head mechanic, right? Building who, the cars when he's in there when the crash happens. Yes, uh, Mako is the uh, he's from Conan the Barbarian, and he's the Japanese man working for Tucker. Uh, he was great. He was really good, and this movie takes place in the '40s during World War II. Like, just as we mentioned in the in the book excerpt, there, it's like right at the end of World War II. So, uh, let's see. His character's name is Jimmy, and they mention that his family is like still in an internment camp. Mm-hmm. But like Martin Landau's character is opposed to working with a Japanese man. Right. Seems and... to get over it. They don't really delve into this subplot at all no it's just kind of mentioned right um but yeah like tucker says he's got custody of jimmy the japanese character to keep him out of the internment camps as long as he's working for him helping him to design and build these cars and then there's elias koteas who i knew from teenage mutant ninja turtles the movie growing up he's Mm. casey jones in that Mm -hmm. movie and then he's the head designer of the tucker automobile named alex uh, he was also in a great episode of The Sopranos, as the the guy who leads the um, the intervention intervention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he leads the intervention for Christopher. For, for Christopher, yeah. God, great I think scene. the heat is getting to me. Um, <laughs> and then little baby Christian Slater. He was so young. He's in so this. young in this movie. But I, you know what I noticed though? He's playing Junior. So I guess he's t- uh, Preston Tucker Junior. Jeff Bridges' son, but I noticed that he actually bears a resemblance. Did you notice that? I didn't think of it during the movie, but I can see kind of yeah. what you're saying. Especially, yeah. like, when you see Christian Slater and then you, like, watch Jeff Bridges, you, I don't know, see the resemblance in their faces. So. And they did their hair kind of in a yeah. similar way. Yeah, yeah, so good casting there. And then mm-hmm. Dean Stockwell, one of my favorite character actors, uh, known, best known from Quantum Leap as Al, is howard hughes yeah one of the best scenes of the movie it's a great scene a great scene very moody oh yeah and let's give credit 
I, I was speaking against the cinematographer earlier today, but okay. <laughs> that was a good scene. It he was a great yeah, job very well lit. And, um, you know, Howard Hughes is famously played by Leonardo DiCaprio in uh, The Aviator, yeah. Martin Scorsese film. Dean um, Stockwell looks a lot more like the real Howard Hughes. It's funny. We were at Disney California Adventure yesterday, and they had this big framed photo of Howard Hughes in the Soarin' attraction because it's like airplane mm. themed. And... Um, I was like, Howard Hughes looks so much more like Jim Carrey than Leonardo DiCaprio. And I knew Jim Carrey was up for the role. Oh, really? In The Aviator. And that I was would like, have been so strange. I just don't know if he, if he had the chops. Like, I do right. think Jim Carrey's a good actor. But I don't know to, like, he hasn't really done, like, this big, like, epic biopic that, mm-hmm. um, like that. And Leonardo DiCaprio, I don't know, what do you think of Leo as an actor? I, I think he's great, but he has yeah. that baby face. So whenever right. he does a role that requires him to be mature yeah. like when he was j edgar hoover it was just a disaster you know that's right and kind of the same like his performance is great in the aviator but it's just like you're looking at a you know a right. 20 year old and then i remember in the rocketeer uh howard hughes was played by terry o'quinn from oh, lost. lost yeah um who i think also looks a little bit more like howard hughes certainly than Leonardo DiCaprio. But in this one scene here, uh, yeah, Dean Stockwell is really yeah. funny as this, they, they really played up his weirdness mm-hmm. with the pistachios and. Yeah, he was great. I love that part. Um, and then a couple of, like, it's got a bunch of, like, weird cameos. Like, you pointed out Sofia Coppola. Oh, yeah. She's just, just sort of an extra. Yeah. It. So later to go on, uh, appear in Godfather Part 3. Notoriously. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think she gets too much crap for. Yeah. She's everyone's bad in that movie, right. not just her. <laughs> it's not her fault. Yeah. And she went on to be a, be a really good filmmaker too. Mm-hmm. Uh then uh, Lloyd Bridges, uh Jeff Bridges' father has a mm-hmm. has a role as Senator Ferguson. So he's uh Yeah, he's a villain in it. He's kind of the villain. I thought that was funny uh to go up against his son. Not not his son in the movie, but his son in real life. Um I, I noticed this guy Marshall Bell who is an actor, that, a character actor that I was familiar with mostly from Total Recall. He's the guy who has Kuatu when he opens up. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's uh, in the movie as well. And then Peter Donat from the X-Files, Mulder's father from the X-Files is in this as the lawyer uh, going up against Tucker at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What, what else do we have to say about Tucker? There's not well, a lot to say. But... Yeah, I was... I had a few things. I was just reading about it before we watched the movie. Okay. I thought a few things of interest. Uh, Coppola's father was an early investor in Tucker oh. and uh, owned one of the cars. And oh, then wow. later in life, Coppola and Lucas both owned two Tuckers. So okay. they had doubles, much like Bob Odenkirk did, of the classic cars. Do you know if they got them after the movie? or? I don't know that. I think, I think probably after. But um, okay. I don't know for sure. Yeah, at, there's like a title card at the end, right, as the credits are beginning, that says, you know, of the 50 Tucker cars that got produced, like 47 of them are still in working condition. Mm-hmm. This and, is of 1988. Yeah, right, 35 so. years ago, yeah. But um, I was I was guessing, I don't know this for sure, but I was guessing that most of them were probably there. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't you know. You don't if think they, they built replicas, I don't know. maybe? I, I honestly have no idea if they would have, like, built... I bet for like the hero car, like the one yeah. that Jeff Bridges drives. I bet that was a real yeah. one. Yeah, you, you, you're then probably right about that. Um, also, I, I read that for, Francis Ford Coppola originally wanted the movie to be sort of an experimental musical, and he was going to cast Marlon Brando as Tucker. And so I guess that means he never saw Guys and Dolls and realized you should never cast Brando in a musical <laughs> because he doesn't sing. Um, 
but he even hired Leonard Bernstein, who wrote the music for West Side Story, to write the music for his musical of Tucker. But then um, Coppola had a series of flops and American Zoetrope filed for bankruptcy. And so the whole project kind of fell apart until Lucas got involved. And yeah. he, you know, um, had unlimited money. So he kind of came on board as uh, an executive producer. And he convinced Coppola not to do it as a musical. So that's how we ended up with the I version think to, we have. to the movie's benefit, I would say. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll never know. It we'll never know. We'll but, never know. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, but then Paramount was came in to distribute it and put up some of the money. And they are responsible for the subtitle, The Man in His Dream, which I think is terrible. I think it should have just been Tucker. Just Tucker? Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. That's interesting. I guess I had never knew it as a different title, so it just that's the title for me, but I guess it strikes me as stupid or yeah. like a direct-to-video type thing. The man in his dream. Right. It sounds or like a actually, documentary. It does. Now that I think of it, it does sound like a promotional video. Right. So in that sense, it kind of fits the movie. Right. But uh, yeah, so that's that's all I had to say about it. It's, it's a real departure for Coppola, like from what we, at, especially at the time, I feel like he was he was and still is known for very dark movies yeah like we mentioned the godfather and the conversation um but this is a very bright and cheerful movie. it is very light there's like a few moments of drama and and conflict here and mm-hmm. there I, I guess it's, it's cynical about uh, the way american capitalism was yeah. going at the time and yeah. it's cynical about politics but it's it's a it's a light movie it's it's a fun movie yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I think uh, I recommend this movie. If you haven't seen it, if you like Jeff Bridges, it's like a, a mm. showcase for him. Yeah. For his charm, really. I'm going to and... recommend it to my dad. He he loves cars, and he was a judge, <laughs> so he'll like the courtroom sequence. So. And then um, the last question I always ask is, what is the legacy of this movie? But I, I really don't know if there is one. Like, it's not a movie that people really talk about, right? Yeah, I think I... I heard it mentioned once a few months ago and I was like, oh, that's one of the movies that Mike is going to talk about. And so like, it's something that, but, but like, I guess that's the exception that proves the rule. It's like, this is a movie no one talks about, but it did kind of revive some interest in the Tucker cars because I read that the, the price kind of went up and, and one of them like sold for a million dollars like years later because, because people saw the movie and become more interested in the cars. Hmm. Yeah, so uh, you can watch it on Amazon Prime with ads, obviously. And yeah, I just think it's interesting that uh, people talk about Coppola's great movies, Godfather, Apocalypse Now, like we mentioned earlier, and Conversation and stuff. And we talk about his bad ones, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, the ones that didn't live up to expectations. But the ones that are like really good but not great, I feel like they kind of got forgotten. And this Mm -hmm. this is one of those. So that's Tucker, The Man and His Dream. And that's going to bring us early to uh, the last couple segments of... No Lego Masters this week? No, there's no Lego Masters episode, so we don't have that to to fill 10 minutes this week. (laughs) Uh, That's coming back next week, uh, just on a week-long hiatus for that show, but that will return. Uh, But that's going to bring us to the Lucasfilm project pitch. Do you have anything, David? Sure. I mean, this is my 10th appearance so i'm really running i'm really scraping the bottom of the barrel so it feels like um but you you know what that means right the the next one's free (laughs) 
I so, love it. Yeah, so you don't have to pay my yeah. appearance fee. I, I got to give you your punch card. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so I, I've used up a lot of my good ideas. I was thinking like, oh, I could pitch like a Howard the Duck thing, but Leah Thompson in the news this week is pitching herself to direct a new That's Howard the right. Duck movie. That's right. That so, is Lucasfilm news, if not Star Wars news. Although, right. if it gets made, it probably won't be made under Lucasfilm. No, it'll be a Marvel yeah. movie. But So that's not my pitch. Uh, my pitch is that since Oga's Cantina is such a big hit, everyone loves it, I would love to see a real-life version of Club Obi-Wan hmm. from the Temple of Doom. And I think it's going to have to not be at Disneyland because I wanted to have a dress code. <laughs> so everyone needs to dress up much like the magic castle yeah. to, to get in uh to really create that as atmosphere of class and uh I th there's got to be big musical numbers like when uh when willie does the performance of anything goes well you can expect that kind of thing but also there's going to be a stunt spectacular every hour okay so uh lao shane his goons are gonna get in a fight with someone and you'll see some crazy stunts and like the big gong rolling around yeah. the restaurant and and uh yeah so i so. like it i like it a lot so there's a restaurant at disney springs at walt disney world in florida called the edison and when it opened they did have a dress code where you had to wear like a nice suit to mm -hmm. attend um i think that lasted like a few months before they realized like most of the people at walt disney world they're not are... coming specifically for that restaurant. Yeah. yeah and they're all like tourists and they're not bringing like suits with them to go mm -hmm. to disney world so they did change that, but there is the Edison here um, that was spun off to that one. There's the Edison here in downtown Los Angeles that I think... Have, have you been there? No. Oh, it's a really cool place. Uh, yeah, you should definitely Let's check go. that out. We should do it. We should do it. Um, but yeah, I really like that pitch. And I, I think more Indiana Jones in the parks or in the Walt Disney... In the Disneyland... Man, sorry. In the Disney resorts would be a great thing. I just really want to see a whole indiana jones land in addition yeah. to the few rides that maybe with the new movie coming out there'll be some more interest if that's right hit. yes i think uh i think it's likely i hope it's likely okay that's gonna bring us to first steps into a larger world where we talk about the media that we're consuming outside of star wars now i've got one here that i've written down already but now i've realized we should talk about two things okay from my list maybe yours is going to be the same one as my second one but uh, we watched a movie called No Sudden Move, which is a Steven Soderbergh film. Sure, yeah. A new Steven Soderbergh film on Netflix and really enjoyed that. Have you seen that? No. Is this Don Cheadle? Don Cheadle is and the lead, yeah. Benicio Del Toro. And Benicio Del Toro. It's got a really great cast. Um, David Harbour from Stranger Things and mm -hmm. the Black Widow movie is in it as well. Uh, great, great cast. And actually, now that I think about it, the ending of this movie, No Sudden Move, is very similar to the ending of Tucker, The Man in His Dream, because it's about how like the big big corporations win in the mm -hmm. end. And it's also about the automobile industry. Oh. Which yeah. is I, like I put it on my list here to do for this segment and I Didn't forgot about that. Think how it connection. tied into our so to um, this. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed that movie. I recommend it. Do you remember when da when Steven Soderbergh said he was going to retire from filmmaking. Yeah, that didn't last long. How long ago? That was like 15 years ago, right? Yeah, he's made like 20 movies <laughs> since then. He like cranks them out. Did he say that as a joke, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. But there's other filmmakers who said the same thing and then did Like didn't. Miyazaki. Miyazaki. He, he keeps threatening to retire. Kevin Smith. I wish he would 
Yeah, he maybe should. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I recommend that one. No Sudden Move by Steven Soderbergh. And then the other thing I think we should talk about, I don't know if this is the one that you are going to talk about, but Mm -hmm. the second one I wanted to talk about is season two of I Think You Should Leave, Mm -hmm. the sketch comedy series with Tim Robinson on Netflix. Uh, I'm like fascinated by this show me too i don't think it's perfect in fact i think it's like fairly hit or miss but when it hits it's like i'm like rolling on the floor laughing mm-hmm. yeah what do you like about it i, I loved it be- i watched it already uh bethany was in vegas for work this week and i watched it without her and as soon as she got back i was like we gotta watch it and she'll watch it and say i like how much it makes you laugh <laughs> you have so, any yeah yeah so it's like it is a specific kind of humor it is like it is i feel like i i identify with it because the characters rarely know how to read a room and always right. say the wrong thing and dig themselves in deeper and i feel like i do that a lot so i find it very funny yeah he always kind of plays this a similar character this guy tim robinson he's usually the butt of the joke occasionally mm-hmm. they'll have like another actor play the role that he should be playing. Which, right. Like, yeah. I think it's just to kind of mix things up, mm-hmm. but it, it does keep things interesting. But my question after seeing a lot of the sketches is like, how did this character exist before? Before, like, why were people friends with him before this incident? The, the incident that, depicted in yeah, the sketch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, did you have any sketches from season two that like stuck out to you? The Haunted House tour. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's like the adult door so they can say whatever they want. Yeah, so you can swear. And then he just like keeps asking ridiculous questions with awful swears in them. Mm -hmm. Um, The the sloppy steaks. Oh, yeah. The baby judged him for the way he used to be in his life. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Oh, gosh. The, The whole concept of sloppy steaks. They weren't sloppy enough for me. It just I know, but that's part of it to me. It's that all sloppy steaks is is you have a steak and you pour your a glass, glass of water. water on it. So you make a big mess while you're But it's it. not it's not that bad. Like right. but to me the joke of it is that the waiters the waiters at the restaurant are so opposed. <laughs> right. Yeah. To you they having come a sloppy and they'll steak. Lo- and, and they'll say no sloppy steaks tonight. <laughs> yeah. But and yeah, that's part of the joke. And then the other thing is just like the show overall and is just so brilliant at coming up with odd phrases that just stick in your head and you can't get them out. Yeah. Like sloppy steaks or like calico cut pants. Yeah, that was the other one I was gonna cite. Because yeah. I immediately like Looked it up to see if CalicoCutPants.com existed. It, it should. I know. I, I can't give. believe they didn't do it. Yeah, you got to you got to give if you're going to use the service. It's like PBS. You got to mm-hmm. give. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't exist without the people giving to it. So, um, yeah, that's uh, I think you should leave. Oh, gosh. Yeah, uh, and you can watch the whole thing in about 90 minutes. <laughs> and I did. Yeah I'm, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm watching it a second time now. I watched the uh, entire season two in one sitting as well. And it's just so off the wall and and very, very funny. And it, it has a lot of uh, it, it feels influenced very heavily by like Tim and Eric. Awesome show. Great job. Mm-hmm. And, and Tim Heidecker's in some of the sketches. Yeah. Yeah. Tim Heidecker pops up in both seasons, actually. And then Tim Robinson was a Saturday Night Live writer mm-hmm. for a while. So there's some SNL people in there. But this 
is so much weirder than anything you'll see on Saturday Night Live, and I mm-hmm. think in a great in a great way. So, yeah. uh, recommend that. I think you should leave. Did you have a different example? Well, for, I think uh... you should leave is a great one. I should have said okay. that. But I, I'm reading a book right now called The Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green, and John Green is a writer who does like books for teenagers, okay. like um, The Fault in Our Stars, and um, turtles all the way down or uh books i've never read and probably never will but this is a book of like nonfiction essays um that are the the gimmick is that they're reviews of things that aren't usually reviewed kind of like the tv show review with andy daly yes but the book isn't quite as funny but it's it's very uh it's very clever and uh he reviews fun things like velociraptors and air conditioning and uh oh god air Texas conditioning Blue, uh, get five Kentucky stars from me right yeah. now <laughs> <laughs> and but it's like not just he doesn't focus it's almost like a one thing will make him think of something else and then he'll include some interesting facts and then at the end he'll circle back to what the original subject of the review was okay. and it's a it's a clever book and like i said he writes for teenagers so it's very easy reading it's a good one to read before bed but you call it like a humor book uh it's more it's more amusing than humorous okay have you read any of john hodgman's books no but i i like listening to him on podcasts and so maybe i should he wrote this trilogy of books called um i think the first one's called like all the information you require or something right and then areas of my expertise areas of my expertise i think was the first one and then the second one was uh all the information you require but um they're just like lists of facts that he made up basically like entire mm. books of it's like a it's like a an uh almanac of made up facts which is just such a bizarre idea and he wrote three of them and i i just found them hilarious uh i'm kind of reminded yeah i like him a lot stylistically sounds similar similar to what you were talking about but mm. um okay uh that's going to bring us into an early end, but we had kind of a shorter episode of Who's the Boss today, but that's okay. Uh, we did recommend the movie, Tucker, The Man and His Dream, and we're going to continue our Lucasfilm 50th anniversary retrospective next week with the animated film, The Land Before Time, which I also saw in the theater growing up. Are you a fan of The Land Before Time? I, that was my movie growing up yeah yeah okay like my older brother always wanted to watch fantasia i always wanted to watch the land before time you missed it by a week i'm so sorry <laughs> yeah, that's okay <laughs> i hope you enjoyed tucker oh i love uh, tucker. you won't be yeah. here for the thank discussion you. of the land before time um mm-hmm. so sorry about well yeah. i want to thank my guest david murto for coming and sitting in the very hot uh echo base today it's scorching hot all this all the ice and snow is melting the princess's wardrobe <laughs> is ruined there we go uh thanks again david i will see you again in 10 weeks thank you mike i'll see you well we'll see each other this week but yeah i'll yes. see you i'll be back in the, echo the base. listeners will hear you again in 10 weeks great all right and that's gonna do it for this week's <laughs> who's the boss we'll catch you next time right here on laughing they've got to visit laughingplace.com for for all all your Star Wars and Disney and now Lucasfilm news and opinions. (laughs) That's laughingplace.com on your web browser. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Boring conversation anyway.